right, welcome back, everybody. Little uh, cult personality to get you started here on this Wednesday edition of the program. Two and a half with you today. A lot to cover on the show. We'll talk NBA Finals this hour. We'll do a little fantasy next hour. And then in our 6 o'clock hour, we're going to meet one of the newest head coaches in high school basketball. I'm excited. Excited about today's show. Excited about the rest of the week. What a lineup. It's going to be phenomenal. Um, I do not want to see as many goals scored in the Ranger uh, Lightning game tonight as last night's game between Edmonton uh, and uh, you know just a ridiculous uh, Colorado Avalanche shootout. Was eight six fourteen goals? No, thank you. Crazy. Uh, the only way, as long as the Rangers are on the winning end, they'll be okay. But that's that's too that's too many goals, man. That's a that was a wild wild shoot uh, shootout yesterday in the Western Conference Finals. Can you imagine? You show up to a hockey game and you get fourteen goals. Yeah, it, it was so funny, Steve, because you know the it, the score was like six to three, or maybe it was like six to two, real early. Like I, I saw the score and I was thinking to myself, wow, that's probably third period or or something like that. Like this is late in the matchup. No, it's first period, and then Edmonton starts coming back. They cut it to real close, so everybody who's an Avalanche fan is getting worried, and uh, Colorado's uh, still able to hang on and take the first game uh, despite a huge comeback by the Oilers. I mean, 3-2 Avalanche after one, 7-4 Avalanche after two, 8-6 final. I mean, that's just, that's that's crazy. And by the way, it was... um, It was 7-6. It was a 7-6 game until the final minute... When the Avalanche got the empty net goal. Man, they must have been so nervous yes. down just one goal uh, at that point, or up just one goal, after you had been dominating all game long. Up 7-4, to 6-3 to three at one point. I mean, Steve, th- there's no excuse to relinquish a lead like that. No, but if you love offense, you'll love this series. Oh, my God. That's just what it's about. I don't know if the Ranger-Lightning series will be quite like that, but that gets started at 6 o'clock tonight. All you Ranger fans out there. All like three of you. Uh, be ready to go. It's going to be a fun one tonight. Roll call for the Ranger fans. That means you, Bill. You, Eric. Um, no bandwagon fans. No. No, you gotta be, You got to be a diehard fan. you gotta be, uh, You got to be a diehard Ranger fan. And there's, there's a few. There are a few. Um, you know, not, not a ton. You, Kurt, if you're listening, you're a diehard Ranger fan out there. I'm not, I'm not even giving their last names. I'm just giving their first names because, um, you know, one's in the media. He's a, a Ranger fan. Um and, you know, you, you hear him on this radio station. I'll just leave it at that. But there aren't too many of them. There aren't. Uh, but that's just going to be fun tonight. So that's game one tonight. Dave DeFore is going to join us in 15 minutes, make a return appearance to talk about the NBA Finals, which starts tomorrow. Excited about that. Had a chance a few hours ago to go to uh, Kevin Lovell's uh, big uh, retirement shindig. That was a lot of fun. Saw some people I haven't seen in forever. Um Many, like, former reporters, on-air personalities. What a family that's been. What a group. I mean, really, Gary Warner was there. He was terrific. Gary kind of stole the show. I mean, you don't realize it when you see Gary Warner anchor for so many years in El Paso. That man is just entertaining. When you give him a microphone and he's not reading off a prompter, Gary Warner is hes hilarious. So he was great cracking everybody up today. He works a room like nobody else. Telling you, I told Gary after the event, hey, if you you should be emceeing events, Gary. It'd be great. I mean, man, it was awesome. So that was a lot of fun. I know they got another event this evening, but 
Uh, we'll be on air during that. So I was happy to be there today, reconnecting with uh, a lot of people. And uh, what a uh, what what a group of just the on air personalities, let alone the behind the scenes people that are still there after thirty something years. It's wild. Absolutely wild. Sounds like a, a really great event, Steve. Uh, did you see people that you haven't seen in a decade? That's my question. Like two decades. Wow. So, so you're talking about some real throwbacks as far as people you met today or saw today for the first time in a long time. It was really cool. Really, really cool. Yes. So that was that was that was nice. It was because so you got to understand. So when I first started here in the mid '90s, um, you know, I was best friends with Lou Romano and he was the channel seven sports director at the time. I spent almost all of my free time with him on weekends. And uh, that was an exclusive bunch back then. I mean, it was like a fraternity of people in the media, especially channel seven. So I got to know them really well. And you know, some of them were there today and I hadn't seen them in forever. So it was just fun to reconnect. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm super happy that you got a chance to do that, and uh, what a great career it's been for Kevin Lovell here in El Paso. So, uh, yeah, very happy that everybody got a chance to celebrate him today. Me too. Me too. It was nice. So that was part of uh, the fun today. It really was. Um, and then running around town, seeing some uh, different people around this community, um, you know, just saying hi, stopping by, and talking a little sports. Uh, that's uh, what it's going to be about today here on the show. All right. Um I want to, you know, I wanted to spend the hour on this, but we've got Dave DeFore coming on at 20 past, so I can't dive too deep into this right now. But I will say something interesting. When I was at the Kevin Lovell event, someone in the media who I've known forever told me that they did not like the 915 campaign. And I said, why? And the answer was, They stole it from Aaron Jones. I thought about this for a minute. I really did. Because I thought, you know, hey, Aaron's been flashing the 915 since his rookie year when he got in the end zone for the Packers. He's made that his moniker. And I get it. I do. But I also know that as Aaron put together the A&A All the Way Foundation with his whole family, his uh, twin brother Alvin Jr. and the rest of the family, they've never really incorporated the 915 into that. We know he's from the 915. We know he graduated high school here, college here, and you know lives here during the offseason. We know that. We know he's got a bar now in El Paso called Showtime. It's not Showtime 915. It's Showtime. So I don't – that one I had a hard time with because I don't really see UTEP copying Aaron Jones. I saw UTEP saying, hey, we're, we're the 915 area code. That's our identity. We're going to roll with it. We're going to throw the 915 out there in, in some of our marketing and, and put on football helmet, and I'm fine with that. I mean, I was reading some of the comments. I heard some people felt that we took it from San Antonio, that they did the same thing with UTSA. UTSA has two area codes, San Antonio does. Not one, two. So they got the 210, and they've got a new one that they just came up with not that long ago, within the last 10, 15 years. What was it 757? Yeah, the 726. 726? 726. All right. They have two area codes. Last I checked, El Paso has one. 915. Hasn't changed. It's been like that since we moved here. It's been like that forever. So, again, um, I don't know if it's people, Adrian, just wanting to uh, be upset because it's easy to do it. I don't know. But to me, I mean, I, I just look at it as, hey, they're, they, they come up with new campaigns every so often. We had the We Are UTEP a while back. We've seen so many different types of campaigns. You know, this is not a permanent thing. 
I'm fine with them rolling with the 915. Yeah, I'm I'm totally fine with the 915. No one owns the 915 as far as like Aaron Jones. You you can even make like if you wanted to use that same logic right there, you can make the same argument and say that they took it from uh the great Khalid who has uh the 915 in some of his songs. So, no, I, I don't think that the 915 belongs to any person. Doesn't belong to Aaron Jones, doesn't belong to Khalid or UTEP. It's just a uh you know, it's a tribute by UTEP for the city of El Paso to recognize the area code and you have to just think about it from people outside of town like when you're going off again to Dallas Austin other areas uh, across the country bringing the 915 and that logo and uh, you know the helmet to other cities to really show off your city's pride I'm with you on that one I'm with you on that El Paso pride is what it's all about it really is I mean we had El Paso strong which we still are and now we're just you know embracing the 915 good I like that I mean only sad part is nowadays when I get calls on the nine one five on my cell phone, half of them are are, uh, are are just bots. They're not, you know. It was great when for the longest period of time, if you got a cell phone call from the nine one five, you knew it was somebody that lives in El Paso. Someone, whether it's the right number, wrong number, somebody lives here locally. Now you get all these nine one five calls, and half of them aren't even real. Yeah, you're getting uh when you get the Fabens area or like some sometimes your smartphone will tell you like if it's from Horizon City or from Fabens or something. Yeah, just uh hit the hit the end button on that and send that one to voicemail. It's either solar, dealer services, extending your warranty. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, there's a few others, but for the most part, uh, those are the big ones that that call from the nine one five these days. So pretty uh, frustrating, Steve. Well, it is what it is. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Hey, for the longest time, our cell phones kept those numbers away. Eventually, they were going to get us. That's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, they got smart. They got smart against the cell phone companies. What do you do? Because my wife and I have totally disagreements here, okay? I don't answer all of them. In fact, my attitude is, if it's an important enough call, they'll leave me their number. If it's not and they don't leave anything, chances are either it's not important or they really don't feel like I need to call them back. So, and and I've argued this with my wife because she's like, I got to answer the phone. You never know who it's going to be. It could be something really important. You don't want to miss it. What if it's, you know, an, an emergency? So that's true. But hopefully if it's an emergency, they'll leave me a voicemail to call them back ASAP and I'll give them a call back. And then have you ever noticed when you miss a call from the 915 and you try calling them back and you get some weird recording about how, um, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like you're calling back a number that you know is phony. Yeah, it's like the call drops right away. And then when you block those numbers, they find another number and it hits you up anyway. So you can't avoid them. You cannot get past these numbers. They, they will find you. And now that they have the local 915 area code, they'll, they'll, they'll wear you down eventually. They'll get you. They really will. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, I'll side with Karen on on the discussion, Steve, because I look at it in, in our business and I'm like, man, you know, all the calls we make, maybe somebody's calling me from a different phone number or something like that. So I'm the sucker who answers. I'm the person who answers all these calls. So I make a mental note every day. Did the, the scammers get me or did I get the scammers? I get 10 scammers a day from the 915. Wow. Wow. 10. Yeah, that's tough. So what do you do? You answer them all? And you know what else I do? I've, I've got a time deal, okay? Here's another way to handle the scammers. If they call you with a 915, answer the phone, and if it takes more than two seconds 
to hear a voice on the other line, get rid of them and block them. All right? Because chances are, that's another thing. I don't understand how it works, but for some reason, when they get you on the 915, there is usually a delay yes, of that's two right. to five seconds until somebody picks up the phone and says something. And to me, if it's local and I say hello, and I don't and you don't get me in the next second to two seconds, I'm gone. I am gone. Because I know what's coming. I know it's gonna be a click, a delay, and somebody's gonna hit me up from something. And they're trying the 915. I'm like, come on, man. That's, not, that's just not right. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I've, I hear the click and I click. You know, like I, I hear that and I'm ready to uh, end the call right then and there, Steve. So I'm, I'm with you on this. I've experienced this. I'm just the guy who answers it, unfortunately. Good for you. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. My wife would love you. That's great. You're doing exactly what she does. Okay, I'm looking today. I got three. So, uh, and I answered two of the three. <laughs> Have you really? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my call log today. Oh, that's good. That's good. Let's see. I've had one today. Um, no, you know what? It was yesterday. Yesterday, I had about six. Oh, man. That's, that's terrible. It's rough. It's rough. And then the worst. Now, here's that. I will say this. Sometimes they trick you, okay? They'll call you. You won't answer. They'll call back. And you think, hmm. Yeah. Well, this must be important. They're calling back. And you pick up the phone and it's still a scammer, but the you know they 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 were they played it smart. They didn't just call you once and not leave a voicemail. They called you immediately afterwards. But the way I handle it is this: usually, if I don't take a call from a scammer or from, from a number I don't recognize, I will call them back. And when I get some weird re- response on the callback telling me that I'm going to be connected to some place, I'm out. Just like that. I'm gone. Yeah, there should never have to be a two-way call right there where they're connecting you to something. That's where you recognize that it's fishy. That's where you hang up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this right now, Steve, and I'm actually getting anxiety over the call I missed. I'm worried that it was somebody that we're trying to book for tomorrow or something like could that. Could be. Could be. From the from the 915? Yeah, It's possible. I'm, I'm going to call right now. I'm, I'm worried. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way it should be. You're right. Hey, by the way, speaking of calls, terrible. Does it, do we know if our phone lines, uh, have, they, have they been taken over by anybody yet? Do we know if the 880-5763 has finally been uh, given to somebody? No, I don't know this. This is a great question. We've been wondering for months now who's taken our line. Keep getting nothing. just rings. Nobody picks up. Still ringing. Like it's been for the beginning. Nobody picks up, though. So interested if somebody ever gets the 8805763 number. I really am. Just keeps ringing. No voicemail. No nothing. Our old lumber is just like in, um, it's in like phone purgatory right now. It's just out there in the abyss. It just rings. It wasn't disconnected, but it wasn't given to anybody. It's just kind of in the black hole of phone numbers, folks. Just hanging out there right now. You know? All right. Good to know. Number's still there, but nobody's claimed it. That's good to know. Our new number is 915-505-6009. 
There you go. Didn't think you were going to listen to Sports Talk and hear a whole diatribe about 915 phone numbers, did you, to start the show? Don't worry. We've got NBA Finals Talk next. A busy show today. So let's get it going. Charlie One with traffic coming up 18 past here on a Wednesday. All right, back here on Sports Talk as we continue. we got a nice return guest joining us, host and producer. He's got so many podcasts for The Athletic, it's ridiculous. Not to mention, he also teaches scouting, video, and analytics for sports business classroom at the Las Vegas Summer League. I didn't know about that. But, man, every time I bring on Dave DeFore, it's something new. I like it. He keeps me guessing every time we get him on. He's back now on the show. Welcome, Dave. Good to have you back on, man. I was hoping you were going to give me uh, uh, in your bio something about your pro wrestling career prior to going into uh, basketball. <laughs> yeah, man, it's really good to be back. I like to sprinkle in those nuggets about my, uh, let's just say, shadowy history. There you uh, go. Just to keep it the mystique, you know, kind of uh, fresh. But, yeah, man, it's good to be back. And, uh, yeah, Sports Business Classroom, Las Vegas Summer League, sportsbusinessclassroom.com. We teach people who are passionate about the sport how to actually get employed in the sport. And not just in the NBA, but we put people in colleges and grassroots, I mean, all over the world, to be honest with you. So pretty proud of that. It's coming up in like six weeks. So just trying to make sure people know about it. How long have you been doing that, Dave? For six years, actually. It was how I got my foot in the door in media. I was doing that program with Larry Kuhn and Nate Duncan, and I was a basketball coach. And they asked me if I'd ever thought about podcasting and media. And I had, but not about basketball. I thought I have a passion for history. I have a passion for some other things. I had considered a podcast there, but never basketball. So those guys and Sports Business Classroom really launched my media career because they got me to think about being a basketball communicator and not just a coach. I love it. That's great. And now you're doing podcasts, you're with us, you teach, you do everything, which is it's what it's all about. And now we also get an NBA Finals starting tomorrow night that – it's pretty intriguing when you start to really look at these two teams, the history, the stars. You know, the Celtics have been uh, have been doing this, uh, it seems like, since the beginning of time, since the 50s when they started that great dynasty so many years ago with the great Red Auerbach and Bill Russell. And the Warriors have had their run already, and many of the guys on this team are still there trying to make it a, a second and start a second run here this time around. So some pretty good storylines for this one, isn't there? Oh, man. How about a first-year coach? Ime Odoka, yep, making the NBA Finals, but also he's from the coach pop co- uh, coaching tree, just like Steve Kerr. I mean, the, the the way that everything could go back to the Spurs is really funny, and it tells you the story of the NBA for the last twenty years. But these sorts of storylines, where the human interest part of it is also something to celebrate, and, and and how often do we get that when we go into a championship moment? It just seems like the last four or five years. There's always something negative surrounding whether it's a Super Bowl or, or let's say a French Open or something like that. It's nice to have an NBA Finals with a bunch of good stories on both sides, man. This is it's fantastic. Ime Adoka is a name that if you're not really a diehard basketball fan, you probably had no idea who this man even was a year ago, and now you look at the job he's done. And also, um, maybe the the brilliance, uh, I, you know, we, we always talk about the Celtics and, and management and, and what they do and how they make, uh, you know, how they always make the right decisions. But I think we also have to understand that 
You know, a year ago, the Celtics were coached by somebody who everybody kind of wondered, would he lose his job? Would he stay? And he made the smart move, went into management. And some people think, well, you go into management, it might not suddenly work out for you, um, especially if you're having somebody else run the show. But man, oh man, I mean, you look at what Stevens did, and suddenly he's a genius. The Celtics are in great shape, and, uh, you know, that story continues. Yeah, listen, I think Brad Stevens sort of laid the groundwork for this run that they're on. I mean, they've made a couple of conference finals with Brad Stevens as the coach. So it's not like he did a bad job while he was the coach. I think he just got kind of burnt out on the rigors and the ins and outs. And to be fair, that team has been together. The core of that team has been together for a while. And sometimes you need a new voice in the room every day. you You can become a bit repetitive as a coach. I know I've been there. I, I have players that I coached for four years, and by the end of that fourth year, you know, they were probably pretty tired of me. And so that can happen, and I think he did make the smart move. And hiring Ime Odoka, you've gotten one of the most experienced assistants in the league. I mean, this was the lead assistant for Greg Popovich for a while on a staff that also had Torre Messina, one of the best coaches in basketball history. I mean, so the guy knows what he's doing. He coached Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili. And then he went and coached with Mike D'Antoni on the bench with him up in Philly. So he worked with new coaches, worked with Brett Brown, who we, of course, worked with in San Antonio. And now, like, he was just so overprepared for the job of coaching this team. He's a wonderful choice. And there was a call amongst fans during their rough start to fire Ime Odoko, like, they were not meeting the expectations. And he just proved to be this nice, steady force, a steady hand that stuck to his principles and got these guys to buy in midseason. In this turnaround, they became one of the best defenses in, in basketball history. And it started midseason. And to, to, turn, to pull off that sort of turnaround in your first year with that sort of pressure, coaching the Boston Celtics, this is not the Charlotte Hornets, not the Orlando Magic or the New Orleans Pelicans. All fine teams, uh, but it's a little bit less pressure there. The Boston Celtics. And then he coaches them to a, to a finals berth. I think he looks like a genius. Brad Stevens looks like a genius. Marcus Smart looks like a genius. Does anybody in Boston not look good right now? No, they all look good. And by the way, interestingly enough about Udoka, and I didn't realize this at the time, but he was also an assistant for Pop for USA Basketball. So a few years ago, he's got a team with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. So uh, they saw what he was like when they were playing for Team USA with Pop. He was part of that staff. So ultimately, they lobbied for him anyway when the opening came up. Absolutely. Look, just like every other walk of life, basketball is about relationships. And ego management starts with having good relationships. As a coach, that's your primary job. These guys know how to play basketball. You've got to get them to play basketball together. You have a group of individuals that you're hoping to pull into a team. Because remember, these guys, they don't sign contracts together. Jason Tatum has his own contract that only has his name on it. Now you've got to get him to play for other people. It's the hardest part of the job. Phil Jackson's philosophy on coaching had so much less to do with the triangle. The triangle was a part of it, but it was about sharing the ball and getting guys to buy into the team concept. But the truth is, he got these guys to check their egos. He had the greatest player to ever play in the NBA, Michael Jordan, to check his ego and pass to Steve Kerr, 
for a game-winning shot in the finals. So I think when, it, when you look at Udoka's sort of pedigree as a coach, it's easy to forget. The guy also played in the NBA, and he played in Europe. Like He has experience with different sorts of basketball. He's just been around, hung out in locker rooms, and he had a good, healthy career. And you don't get to be that way without having good, being a good person, having a good personality, empathy, all of the things that make a good coach. And, and I mean, I think he's just done a wonderful job. I actually gush about Adoka to a certain degree, and it's easy to overlook some of his faults because he's just proven to be so good at the hardest parts of the job, which are the people parts. More with uh, Dave as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, bottom of the hour, let's get to Adrian and this Sports Center update. Their new head coach. You know, everybody knows about uh, the Warriors because they've got so many guys that that were there and and, and they're back this time around and and a head coach that's been through the wars with them as well. It's funny that with everything Steph Curry has done, NBA Finals MVP is, I guess, the one award that's eluded him so far. Well, and he probably should have two of them. Like, let's just be honest, man. He got robbed the year that Andre Iguodala got the award. Uh, Iguodala was given the award based on some idea of defense, in, in which LeBron James, who was superhuman at that point, was held to only, you know, I don't know, 30 points a game or what or whatever. Kevin Curry, you know, like he won the title. Um, so he should have won the Andre Iguodala Award. But, but for me, awards just don't mean as much because they're given by other people. The only awards I really care about are championship rings, man. Like, are you winning titles? And I'll tell you right now, Steph Curry's winning titles. If he wins the, the, the finals this year, he'll have four. The same amount as LeBron James has. He's now gone to six straight finals when this team has been together. We're, we're going to throw out the, the bubble year and last year because, you know, they, they were just hurt. They didn't have KD. Obviously, they couldn't replace him. Klay Thompson being out. Draymond missing significant portions of the season. Steph missing significant portion of the season as well. And I just think that when you look at the run that they've been on, this dynasty, and this guy has done, uh, he's been a unanimous MVP, back-to-back MVP, three-time champion. He's the greatest shooter to ever touch a basketball, and that everyone agrees to that. I mean, there is literally no debate on who the greatest shooter ever is. That's unprecedented. If you ask who's the greatest dunker, you're going to get 50 different answers. Greatest shooter, you're going to get one. And for this guy, to, for anyone really, to feel like he needs a finals MVP to justify you know, his greatness or whatever, I do think is kind of missing the forest for the trees. But it is a talking point. And I think that if they win the title this year, Steph Curry is going to win the finals MVP because he has to. The Boston Celtics defense is just that good that Stephen Curry is going to have to be the juice for the Golden State Warriors offense, and he's going to have to probably score, you know, 25 points a game at least to do it. But I think 25 points a game probably wins them the finals and gets them finals MVP. So the last missing piece to that career puzzle, and then we can finally talk about him in the right context, which is probably a top-five player of all time. 
Dave, when we're talking about this Warriors team and how it was specifically built, uh, you know, other teams like to get veteran acquisitions, whether it be, you know, at the trade deadline, uh, you know, kind of going for it all, trying to win a championship. But it feels like the Warriors held pat and, and, you know, they didn't deal away James Wiseman. They went off in a younger route and tried to get guys like Gary Payton II to help them out later on as the season progressed. Could you talk a little bit about how they built this compared to how other teams like to build their own championship team? Well, and it's, it's easy to overlook the misses. Like, you know, uh, Kelly Oubre, for instance, who just didn't fit. But what you have to give them credit for is moving on quickly. They do recycle and cycle through players quite a bit. They'll bring back guys that they like to get extra looks, and they use the regular season to experiment quite a bit. You'll, you'll notice that Jordan Poole, two years ago, did not look like an NBA player, and now he's averaging 18.5 points a game in the playoffs. So they find guys. This is very Spursy, and that doesn't surprise anybody in the league because, you know, Steve Kerr obviously is a part of this, but everyone is trying to copy what the Spurs do. Golden State Warriors have a, a wonderful scouting department, and they've just got a coaching staff that can identify talent once it's in-house in a way that I don't think other teams do, and they also are very committed to their system and their principles, really is what it is, because – Good luck telling me what the Golden State Warriors' offense is. They don't have an offense. They don't really call plays. But they have a, a core set of principles, and they find players who will buy into that system. And it starts at the top. Again, very spursy. You want to compare Stephen Curry to another player, Tim Duncan is kind of the perfect uh, analogy. Because if you look at their careers, they mirror each other quite a bit. They don't interfere with the front office, even though they are by far and away the franchise's greatest players ever. And in a way, in this modern NBA with player empowerment, that's so unique. And so starting with Seth Curry and his buy-in to the system, then what Michael Jordan buying into the triangle and being able to build a team out from there? It, it's just, it's very, you can see that they have an easier path because they have Steph Curry, this all-time great that they're building around. It, it's not that hard, but they do a good job of sticking with it. And, and that's how they find guys. And that's how they maintain the success even while building for the future, because I think Kuminga looks like a real player. Obviously, Jordan Poole is about to get paid this summer and looks like a real player. And I'm still not out on Wiseman, man. Like, the guy's played, like, nine real games of competitive basketball. you got to kind of throw out the stuff that he did his rookie year because just I don't think he was healthy. And so I think that they're, they might have something that's going to continue, similar to the Spurs. I mean, Steph Curry is going to be able to be Steph Curry for at least another three or four years. When you factor in the matchups and the way these two teams are playing heading into this series, do you see this potentially going six or seven? It should. It should go six or seven. Um, and and I, obviously you get to a game seven, it's a coin flip. Um, Boston can win this. And one of the things that I think is getting lost a bit in some of the analysis that you see, everyone is leaning Warriors. To be fair, the Warriors have looked spectacular. But we haven't seen them against the defensive caliber of the Boston Celtics. The question marks here are about can Boston score. And if they can't score consistently, like they did against Miami, Miami disrupted their offense. And it's not difficult. Boston has fallen into these lulls even during the season, but regular season basketball is just so different. If the Warriors protect the basketball, it's going to limit Boston's offense even more because they score so much off those turnovers. They create 
plays for themselves for transition opportunities, kick out threes, things of that nature. I think the Warriors could win it five if Boston just can't score. And that's on the table. But it should go six at least. And if it goes six, it could go either way that way. It could be Boston in six if everything's clicking for them. Jason Tatum obviously can take over a game, and we've seen it in these playoffs. But I'm leaning Warriors in six if I'm just being honest. Follow Dave on Twitter at Dave DeFour NBA. That's at Dave DeFour, D-U-F-O-U-R NBA. And check out his podcast through um, theathletic.com. When is the the next podcast going to be posted? Give me a, give me a little preview of what's uh, coming up. We're going to have a new Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic NBA show Friday post-game. So it'll be out midday Friday, uh, central time around 11 a.m. Uh, with a, a post-game kind of recap, we'll, we'll dive deep on what we see and, and possible adjustments ahead of game two. It's going to be the best. Looking forward to it, Dave. Hey, appreciate the time again. Thanks for joining us, and uh, look forward to the next time we get a chance to talk a little hoops with you here on the show. Always a pleasure. Dave DeFore, folks, as we continue, 19 in front of five. Breaking news involving the Dallas Cowboys and uh, a former running back. And uh, it's not good. We'll give you the details as Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Talk. U.S. getting ready to battle it out with uh, Morocco tonight. That is uh, happening here in about 30 minutes. ESPN 2 from Cincinnati, uh, where the U.S. and Morocco will, uh, will get together. And keep an eye on that one for uh, all of you soccer fanatics. We uh, continue with hour number two here on the Sports Talk. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. The Diego Luna story is interesting. Really is. Um, you know, you always wonder when you have somebody like Luna, how long can you keep him? I think that's the question. We all have kind of known that. It would just be a matter of time before he ends up in MLS. The only question was not, you know, when, it was with who. And, well, we found out now that it's uh, going to be uh, Real Salt Lake. And as Adrian pointed out in the story, uh, you very well might see him uh, as soon as this weekend, Adrian. And it's a tough blow for uh, Locomotive FC, but the ultimate goal has always been to help bring players along to then give them the opportunity to play and shine in MLS. We saw it last year with Logan Ketterer for a couple of games, a couple of matches where he played very, very well for Portland. Now Luna's getting a shot. Yeah, this is huge for El Paso Locomotive FC's image and brand. You're right, Steve, because you, you, to be known as that club where you have uh, you know soccer players that you're developing in your own program and then sending off uh, elsewhere, that's a really good look on your club if you're the Locomotive FC right now. And I know that uh, Colin Deaver of KTSM, he reported earlier today that this transaction to move to Real Salt Lake will be among the most lucrative transfer fees in USL champion history. That That's pretty a uh, special right there for a sensational 18-year-old like Diego Luna. $250,000. That is the record deal, record fee, in a deal from USL to MLS. So, yeah, that is really interesting. Really interesting. Now, here's also what I'm trying to figure out. San Jose Earthquakes are going to receive a $50,000 general allocation money 
plus another $100,000 um, in incentives, as well as a sell-on percentage should Luna be transferred out of MLS in the future. Because Luna spent time in the Quakes Academy and is in their territory, they get a piece of this as well. Wow, that is so interesting, Steve. So it's kind of like a three-team transaction in a way, like a small version, but in a way, uh, a, a third team gets a, a little bit of bonus with this one. According to the story uh, on MLS.com or M- uh, MLSsoccer.com, Luna may occupy an under-22 initiative slot, though the club can also add him to the roster without the under-22 initiative. The deal will go through immediately as Luna's international transfer certificate is already registered in the United States with El Paso. Therefore, Real Salt Lake does not need to wait until the secondary transfer window opens on July 7th, which gives them the opportunity to activate him for Saturday's match against the Vancouver Whitecaps FC, uh, assuming he'll be eligible for the selection, and we hear he is. That's huge, Steve. I mean, he can play this weekend. El Pasoans can watch uh, Diego Luna play for Real Salt Lake this weekend against Vancouver, which is just so interesting that he, he's getting a chance to do this. Uh, you know, I know that European, I, I, the story sources this as well, European teams wanted to sign Luna, but then he wanted Real Salt Lake, given the club's development pipeline and what connections they have with European soccer. So Diego Luna, he did his homework, and he was very selective as far as his next move. Uh, following his his stint with the El Paso Locomotive FC. You know, we always talk about advanced metrics in sports and how you calculate things. Well, apparently, um, American Soccer Analysis has this uh, sabermetric, uh, it's a stat called goals added. And what goals added does is it measures a player's total on-ball contribution in attack and defense. It calculates how much each touch changes their team's chances of scoring and conceding across two possessions. And apparently, Luna leads all of USL in this goals-added statistical category. Now, that's really interesting. It's kind of like war, right? Like, like Essentially, the, yes. Yeah, the soccer version of baseball's war wins above replacement. And, I mean, it just shows you what, what Diego Luna brings to a soccer club. As soon as he's added on a team, your team is almost instantly better. And he, he has uh, one of the best stats when it comes to this advanced metric right here. So I, I really like these numbers right here. And according to what you just said, yes, Europe wanted him, but... Luna decided Real Salt Lake because they've been good developing prospects and they are connected to European clubs. So now he knows he's got the best of both worlds. He could continue his development in Salt Lake and ultimately a shot then to go to Europe. So um, our days of Diego Luna are gone, but you just knew when you saw him as a rookie that uh, you know he had the opportunity to just explode in this in this sport, and he's done so. Yeah, and I think even uh, Coach John Hutchinson for the El Paso Locomotive FC, he may have not necessarily like alluded to it when he joined us previously, but he kind of touched on it, just knowing that this guy's a sensational talent, and it, it didn't it doesn't take a genius to know that he's not going to be playing soccer here in El Paso for very long. And I, I think if you're an El Paso and you just never took those moments for granted while Diego Luna was with the club and they savored all the moments while he was still here. And how about Real Salt Lake currently uh, third in the Western Conference table with 25 points uh, after 14 matches. And And so he's going to a winner right there. He is. He is. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, 
when Omar Salgado was drafted years ago, number one overall um, in the Super Draft by Vancouver, we were talking about that. It was a huge buzz because he was 18 and he had ridiculous physical skills um, and unlimited potential. But injuries really hurt Omar Salgado, and he never fully developed when healthy like people thought he would. Here's a guy in Diego Luna who is not nearly the same physical size and stature that Salgado is, but he's dynamic, and every time he gets the ball, good things happen. It's been like that ever since he came on the scene in El Paso. Yeah, and it's not like he's just done this at the USL level. He's done it at the international level. He was eligible for the U-20 Mexican national team. He spent time in Barca Residency Academy before El Paso. So this guy, he's been around, and, and people know his name. He just wants to continue in his career, and El Paso was a great stop for Note Note this, for Diego Luna, El Paso helped propel his career in a big way. And by the way, good for uh, Locomotive and uh, FC and Mountain Star Sports Group to get a quarter million dollars for Diego Luna. Nobody, no MLS team has ever paid that to a USL club before. But then again, you got to understand something. 18-year-olds with Diego Luna's skill set don't come along very often. So when you get a young phenom like Luna who ultimately all the credit should go to Locomotive FC scouting for uh, for landing him. If I'm not mistaken, I feel like um, when I when I heard this story a few uh, you know not that long back, um, I think Mark Lowry mentioned Richie Ryan as the person who kind of helped discover Diego Luna at the Earthquake Academy. And if that's the case, you know all the credit to Richie Ryan for for finding him a few years ago and bringing him on board because what a uh, you know what a benefit that's been to the club. Yeah, to be able to scout the talent and that kind. Of talent to bring to El Paso. I mean, yeah, it, you know, wins and losses, championships, aside, whatever. It, it doesn't really matter as long as you're getting the right talent here to El Paso, developing that talent into your pipeline and making uh, El Paso kind of known for this place for player development, where guys can work on their craft and then end up elsewhere. That that's that bodes very well for the El Paso Locomotive FC's just brand and Mountain Star Sports Group's brand as they try to continue to sign these high caliber players. Absolutely right. Uh, Eleven past the hour at uh, 505-6009 our telephone number jeff erickson still to come here in our five o'clock hour and then uh, gene costello tim haggerty uh in our 6 p.m hours we wrap you up till 6 30 speaking of salt lake it's where the chihuahuas are right now they're going to be taking on the bees and we'll have that for you coming up here at the bottom of our six o'clock hour still to come adrian's movie reviews um in addition to everything else we've got in store for you but no i'm happy for diego we interviewed him once, had a great conversation with him. Seems about as personable as could be. And you know what I loved about him when we first had him on? Because he was just bursting on the scene. And we asked him about like what he wants to do when he when he comes into the into the match. And he said, score. Like immediately he wants to do something spectacular. He's a player with the scores mindset, so he knows that when the ball is between his feet, big things happen. And that's exactly what took place for the locomotive. Yeah, he had. So, I remember that interview and how much confidence he had at such a young age. I mean, just remember, like, he's 18 years old when we interviewed him. What, he was 17, Steve? He was, you know, just a young guy. And he has so much confidence, yet he has a lot of maturity for his young age, which is so impressive to see some of these guys like this. But that's why Diego Luna's in this situation. That's why he's making this kind of money and, and going off and, and you know, advancing his 
his career out at Real Salt Lake. So, you know, I'm, I'm wishing for the best uh, for him. And I think for the El Paso Locomotive FC, well, you know, it's time to retool. It, let's see what kind of players that they could bring in uh, to try to supplement the loss of uh, Diego Luna, which is a huge loss right there. 100%. 100%. Agree with you and uh, couldn't agree with you more. And by the way, I mean, you know, it is a huge loss. I mean, they need – look, when you have players with this skill set, you absolutely have to figure out, you know, now you can't replace them. How do you replace a guy like that? How do you replace somebody that has been so good for you since, um, you know, since he's arrived? And as we already know – it was a slow start for Locomotive FC. They've picked it up since. They've played much better over the last six weeks. But, you know, when you lose one of your main attackers, you got to fill the void. And it's going to be interesting to see if Lucho is going to pick it up even more and do that or some newcomers are going to. Who's going to be the guy that really benefits, uh, you know, now that Luna's out? Yeah, it's interesting, Steve, because you've got injuries on this team right now with uh, guys like Velasquez hurt and Chapa Herrera hurt. Uh, you got guys on their international duty like Calvillo. Uh, and, and you even have Solanac, who you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think he, he had that recent suspension off that uh, – red card I believe if I'm not mistaken but nonetheless Steve um, you know the, the this locomotive team has de- has been dealt with their share of adversity or just you know not not having the continuity of their lineup and their players in their system so I'm sure that's another thing that they're searching for just kind of the continuity of having a roster together all at once well right now they're fifth in the Western Conference with 14 point actually 20 points. 20 points so far, and, you know, that's that's they've played well. I mean, they've won three of their last five with one draw and one loss, so they have picked it up in a big way, and the good news is they're just right now a point back of uh, being all alone in third. So they could, you know, you've got um, you know, 27 leading the way with San Antonio. Then um, I believe it's um, Colorado Springs with uh, 24. San Diego SC with 21, Phoenix with 21, and El Paso with 20, and then New Mexico with 19. So they're sitting 5 out of 13, Adrian. It's a great start. Now you got to figure out a way to keep it up. Yeah, you definitely do. And and this is the point right now of the season. This is kind of that make or break point. Like have the momentum in June and July to carry you into the early fall period of August and September as the season winds down and you try to quest for the playoffs and the championship. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. All right, quarter past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. But Luna's third in the team in goals with four, and then he's also tied for fourth with a pair of assists. So, you know, he is somebody that definitely, and fourth on the club in shots with 17. So when you're, you know, top three, top four in all the offensive categories, yeah, that is not an easy uh, person. And you're 18 years old. Not a, not easy to replace. Yeah, and the and the lifeblood, and also the fan favorite, Steve. Let's let's be honest. All the fans for Locomotive FC. This is a tough one for them to lose because they felt so attached to Diego Luna. I know that they probably knew that they, that he probably wouldn't be here for the whole season, or you know, for you know, his yeah. whole career as, as Locomotive FC, obviously. But you know, it still hurts Locomotive fans because they lost one of their fan favorites. Totally agree with you. Sixteen pass. Jeff Erickson's going to talk a little fantasy baseball next. Stay tuned for that conversation. Right after Charlie One, who's back with this traffic update. 21 past the hour as we continue. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Excited about our next guest. In fact, 
Uh, he is uh, one of the best when you talk fantasy sports. Doesn't matter what sport it is. Could be baseball. Could be football. Could be basketball. Could be golf. He does it all. Talking about the one and only Mr. Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for fantasy sports. Jeff, how are you here on a Wednesday? Steve, I'm doing well. Thank you for the kind intro. That was very nice of you. Uh, it's true, Jeff. I mean, come on. You know, this is this is your job. This is what you do for a living. And uh, man, oh man, you're good at it. And uh, doesn't it, you're not just one dimensional. You're not just a uh, you're not just a fantasy baseball guy. You know, you're like um, you're you're like Chuck Peterson and Tommy Pham. You also have football and Mike Trout. <laughs> and uh, by the way, is that the first time we've ever uh, had a baseball suspension that's related to fantasy sports before? As far as I know, yeah. I think so, too. Um, it, It's pretty wild. You know, you hear sometimes about, like, card games gone bad, other sort of bets gone bad. Uh, but, yeah, it's the first time I've heard it with fan- a fantasy football league. But it was a high-stakes league. See, it was a $10,000 entry fee. Um, so, I mean, I know to them that's like a $10 bill or maybe a $100 bill. But for us, I mean, that's that's big-time stuff. Uh, come on, Jeff. You could you – could, uh... You listen, after what you just did with the Super Bowl, that is that is a just a drop in the bucket for you. You can you can hang in that league, they, but they're afraid it's of you. They don't want to, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I know. that's true. That is true. Uh, they don't they don't want any part of you. They know you're professional. That's what you do for a living. So that, that's why they're keeping it. That's why they're keeping it uh, as a fraternity. Although that it doesn't sound that doesn't sound good. I mean, the story's wild. I know that sports talk shows are having a field day with it. For people that don't know, apparently because Tommy Pham was accusing Jock Peterson of abusing the IR last fantasy football season, he told me he was going to slap him, which is exactly what he did when the uh, you know when the Reds and um, uh, was it Giants uh, met up, and ultimately, as a result, Fam uh, got a three-game suspension for the slap, which uh, is is almost yes, unheard. He of. did, uh, you know. I think he said the phrase "pimp slap." Actually, yes, even. Uh, but well, yes, it's a nice way of putting um, it. Yeah. He did, and you know, if you've ever been a commissioner of a fantasy league, you know stuff like this. Disputes happen all the time. It may not rise to the level of a slap, but I mean, it's probably not the first time in real life that you know. You know, fisticuffs have happened because of some, a dispute in a fantasy league, and you know that there's always like a you know abuse and in interpretation of rules uh, and accusations of bad commissionership, all that. By the way, don't ever be a commissioner. Yeah, yeah, you should be. You know, leagues need to commit good commissions, but it's yeah. it's a thankless job. I love being commissioner of our fantasy league at the radio station. Well, we it's not it's just a station. I, I uh, my my boss, my general manager, plays in the league, and and you got to understand something. This is the only time. I can ever tell my boss of 27 years, no, 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 stop complaining. <laughs> and I, I can't do that during the, during a work day, but hey, man, fantasy football, all bets are off. That's when you can tell somebody uh, what you want as, as commissioner. It's it's nice, especially when you don't abuse the power, but you just you got to keep them in their place, right? Right, Jeff? Yeah, true. That's, it's a fact. Are you a commissioner in any of your leagues? I am. Okay, that's what I figured. Um, I've gotten in some leagues. I get some help running leagues. Uh, I'm in too many leagues. That's my biggest problem, Steve. It makes me not as effective as a commissioner either, uh, because I, my I'm my attention's pulled in so many different ways. Yeah, that's true. That is true. By the way, uh, do you play? Is there a um, is there an Erickson family league? There's not an Erickson family league. There is a Rotowire husband and wives football league, though. Oh, that sounds oh, like fun. My wife will play in one league. Uh, does your wife care? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a blast. 
Does she? Even, yeah, does she even want to play in it or not really? No, she does. She does, and she won't watch a ton of games. But at the same time, she always is checking like during like live scoring and all that. She's like, oh, I'm losing. Well, you've got like still have like all of your. You, know, you got all but two players left to go. Let's slow down. You know, and all that. It's funny. And so, and she really wants to beat the other wives of the company. Um, gotcha. And yeah. me, of course. That's good. That's what it's all about. Well, all she has to do is listen to this segment enough, and, and she'll get the hang of it or listen to one of your podcasts because you do that as well. There's some interesting names right now um, out there, and young guys. I love to talk about young guys with you because we do it every week, and we profile a lot of different players. Uh, Michael Harris had a nice little day today, extra base hit for him. And uh, here's a guy that the Braves were calling up, and he's only played double-A, has not played in triple-A yet. Were you surprised that the Braves were so aggressive giving Harris the call? A little bit, um, because, you know, he's only in double-A, he's young. Uh, but you realize with, if Ronald Lacuna can't play center field, that they need someone who can and yet still provide some offense. Adam Duvall wasn't cutting it offensively or defensively. You know, he's got a good arm, and as a corner outfielder, he's got decent range, but he's not a center fielder. Uh, and so they didn't really have anybody else that was playing center field, so... That's the reason why they kind of expedited this a little bit there. I hope he does, he's not too too fast too soon uh, because he's a legit prospect. And James Anderson has him ranked 14 among all prospects. Now, that's not necessarily a reflection, though, what he expects this year. I think that's the one thing to watch out for a little bit. And Anderson just you know changed his rankings a little while ago, so he updated those recently. Yep. But uh, you're right. It, it's it's hard when you look at rankings to tell which is, uh, you know, is it long-term dynasty? Is it current uh, now? Because here's a guy that it's 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 really difficult to project. Isn't it tough when you think about guys that make the jump from double-A to the big leagues? How often do they succeed versus fail? That's a good question. I, I, I got to imagine, though, it's a better success rate than you think. Because more often than not, the guys that are getting promoted straight from Double A typically are more highly regarded prospects in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got a better chance of succeeding anyhow, uh, because they're just they're better prospects. I think that's probably the way I'd look at that. Makes sense. Hey, meanwhile, the Dodgers invested in Craig Kimbrell, thinking he was going to be the replacement for uh, Kelly Jansen and or Kenley Jansen, who has gone to the Braves and been effective. Meanwhile, Kimbrell does not. He's been so up and down over the last few years. When he's good, he's great. But, man, when he's struggling, mm-hmm. it's a problem. And uh, now all of a sudden uh, we're hearing that he's addressing his mechanics. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I imagine – he, it happens more than we think in terms of pitchers kind of losing their mechanics a little bit, but in Kimbrough especially because he's been wild before, uh, and he's got a unique delivery. So I would imagine the mechanics are more important for a pitcher like Craig Kimbrell. I think so too. But if you're the Dodgers where you've been plagued with bullpen troubles in the past, um, you're probably kicking yourselves because you thought that you solved that. And instead, uh, it just goes to show you how volatile the closer position can be on a year-to-year basis. Sure. And it's a high-profile gig, and especially with the Dodgers, it's one of the highest-profile gigs. Now, luckily for them, they've been playing so well. This is kind of just a little drop in the ocean for them, probably. 
Yes, although the Pirates have done a little damage the last couple of days, and especially uh, Tucapita Marcano. I mean, he's coming in and, and hitting three-run home runs, two-run home runs, former Padres prospect who now is a Pirate, and I wasn't expecting the Pirates to be in a spot to try to sweep the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. You still there, Jeff? Or do we lose you? Tell you what. I think we lost Jeff. All right, let's try to get Jeff back. That was, uh, uh, you know, something that, uh, again, happens from time to time when you get him on the phones. You know, you get him one minute, lose him the next. So we'll talk a little more fantasy baseball with uh, Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com as uh, we continue here nearing the bottom of the hour on Sports Talk. In fact, we will have also a, uh, huh, Sports Center update from uh, Adrian Broadus and then work on getting Jeff Prack. You know, it, maybe you had a power outage. It's possible sometimes. You know, you, you lose it and, and something goes from there. That that could have been what happens out in Southern California. You never, never know how uh, things go from time to time. So, yes, we will work on getting uh, Jeff Erickson back with us as we hit the bottom of the hour here on Sports Talk. And then uh, if you have any questions for Jeff, it's very simple. You can tweet the show, 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, that is 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. You can also uh, chat with us and message us on our mobile app powered by United Bank as you listen to the broadcast. So another easy way to get right on in and through to the show uh, if you've got questions for Jeff. We'll bring him back in a moment, but first, here's Adrian, bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We're back with uh, Jeff Erickson right now from rotowire.com. Again, you go to the website, you can check out so much good stuff. We'll we'll profile maybe Jason Collette's latest up on the website, a lot of daily columns and uh, podcasts as well, videos that Jeff handles and so many different things. All right, um, so the season when it started, we were talking about how many guys were struggling offensively and, and ultimately how offense was down across the board and guys just weren't hitting. Uh, earlier today, Jeff, it was a uh, 14-1 victory by Miami over Colorado. And apparently, I don't know what's a bigger story in that game. The fact that the Marlins scored 14 runs on 21 hits or that it was also the uh, season debut for young Edward Cabrera who threw a 96-mile-an-hour changeup in that game. Yeah, all these extreme velocity guys. It's fun. Cabrera, he was electric. I think he didn't allow a hit until the sixth inning. Uh, Walked a few guys, and that's something to worry about maybe a little bit in the long run. But uh, all in all, pretty darn good uh, outing. Uh, I like how they switched the Canadian rules to get that one point for the uh, Rockies there. Uh, Otherwise, in that football score. But, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty impressive outing. And Marlins, I mean, they scored one run on Monday. Then there was a rainout yesterday, and now 14 after this year. Maybe the turn of the calendar has been good for the Marlins. They had a miserable month of uh, May, and you know, you know, maybe they're going to turn around here. Getting Cabrera in that rotation I, is a good thing. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a big boost, and eventually they'll get Max Meyer as well. How do you attribute the offense coming back in baseball? A couple of things. I think uh, you know. I think the obvious is it's warmer. Um, I think there's a definite strong correlation of offense picking up in May and then picking up again in June and July. So we'll see if that continues. I think the ball may be different again. Who knows? I mean, it's hard to say, uh, you know, because Major League Baseball probably won't tell us. We'll find out after the fact. But then 
also, I mean, keep in mind, we had a, a shortened spring training. We did, we had a very abbreviated spring training, and maybe the pitchers were ahead of the hitters a little bit. Uh, and it just it's kind of a natural thing to kind of kick in a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, that and also, you know, every pitcher is fresh, and you know, and at the start of the season, now they're you know, we're dealing with a little bit more fatigue. Look at Kyle Wright today. You know, you know Kyle Wright generally. I mean, he's someone that is not striking out nearly as many uh, batters, and he's walking a lot more. I think some of that is you know pitchers coming back to the level a little bit. You know, guys can burn bright for a while, but they usually come back. You don't look at Mookie Betts. His difference between his April and his May. I mean, sometimes just guys ride hot streaks. They peak at the, you know different times. We're quick to draw conclusions about the run environment in baseball, self included. I do that all the time. Um, but sometimes it's just there's phases, and you know I don't, can't always discern the reason why. How do we explain what Martin Perez has done for the uh, Rangers this month? Uh, voodoo magic. No, um, I like that. Good answer. Thank you. Uh, he's not a traditional, you know, a, a traditional like reasons. He's not striking out perceptibly more. He is inducing more ground balls. He is walking fewer. I don't think he's allowed a homer, maybe one homer so far this year. I mean, that, that goes a long way towards that, too. I think there'll be a correction with him, but it's fun to see someone that's a little different. You know, it's not beating you with just velocity and, you know, crazy movement. You know, he's he, maybe, you know, part of his learned experience is he's learned how to set up hitters a little bit better, too. Uh, it probably won't last the long run, but enjoy it while it does. Absolutely. And, you know, if you look at the guys, the pitchers that have really picked it up the last few weeks, a lot of them the usual suspects. I mean, you know, the, the Zach Wheelers, Garrett Coles, uh, Sandy Alcantara has been terrific in his starts for Miami yep. deep into games. Logan Webb, Corbin Burns. I mean, these are the names of the guys that are some of the best pitchers off the board. So really not surprising. I am happy to see Nick Pavetta rebounding for Boston after a very slow start to the season. Yeah, uh, they, they've had Pavetta pitch well, Walker's pitched well at times. Now, none of them are relief pitchers, and the relievers for the Red Sox are really struggling. Steve, did you know that no no Red Sox pitcher has more than two saves so far this year? Oh, that's awful. Two. Yeah. yeah, it's brutal. Uh, but, yeah, P- yeah, Pavetta is doing kind of what people have always hoped for. You know, he's the new David Bush, which is kind of funny because David Bush is now their pitching coach. You look at the component numbers, you look at the strikeout numbers, you expect better results, and he's just never kind of gotten there. But maybe he'll get there now. Well, it's funny. He never got there with Philadelphia. So how ironic that it's shift to the Boston Red Sox and the American League is what turns it around. Yeah, and you know, well, Philly's got their own problems. Uh, they, you know, it seems like uh, you know, they, you know, one of their big things is like we're, we're going to get rid of Gabe Kapler. He doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. Joe Girardi, he's a proven veteran. He'll get. Wanted that bullpen, and the bullpen's still terrible. True, true. Uh, meanwhile, you mentioned Mookie Betts. He's been on fire, uh, just uh, destroying the baseball. Same with Jose Ramirez. Francisco Lindor has had a really good month. So has Trevor Story and Paul Goldschmidt. A lot of the same guys we talk about. But somewhere in the middle of that mix is Tyrone Taylor. How did Tyrone Taylor even get into the equation for the Milwaukee Brewers? He's kind of always been a fourth outfielder. We thought maybe last year that there was some upside for him, and he just never, he never took. Uh, but now um, you see, uh, you know, he's getting this playing time. He's a better hitter than Lorenzo Cain, uh, and he, you know, I understand Cain's got a, you know, they need Cain for his defense, but even that advantage is kind of dissipating a little bit over time and injuries and age. Uh, but you know, you know, Taylor, 
Taylor, and he's faced a string of lefties too. It helped that the uh, you know, the Cubs were rolling a few lefties against the Brewers lately, the last few days. But Taylor's really hitting, and he's got that power potential. And that's something that the Brewers really desperately need. We mentioned Jock Peterson earlier because of the incident with uh, Peterson and Tommy Pham. Do you think Jock will ever shed the platoon bat, uh, you know, image he has, or because of his extreme splits, will always be just a platoon guy? I think he'll always be a platoon guy. He's on the right side of the platoon, at least, uh, in, in that he's a lefty hitter, so he's facing more righty pitchers. You know, face all the righty pitchers a lot more of them. Uh, you know, it's not the first player that's had an extreme platoon split. That's just what he is. You know, I will say this. The only way for him to ever get competent against lefties is to face a lot of them. The Giants are the wrong team for that. The Giants love to platoon guys. They do. Uh, they, they've got a few. They, they've got some injuries right now that limit their ability to do so. But you know, they're you know, Gabe Kapler did a fantastic job of maximizing those platoon advantages. Earl Weaver used to be great at that. Uh, he's always like my go-to example for that. You know, and platooning aggressively like he did was considered innovation at the time. Not a, not a, as many uh, managers are committed to the bit, especially in game. They might do that against a starter, but the Giants, they'll, they'll flip over in-game, and that's something that's a little different for them than other teams. Give me thoughts on two guys, two young arms, before we go to uh, the website and, and the preview. Tell me about young George Kirby with Seattle and uh, Aaron Ashby with Milwaukee. Boy, Ashby looked great the other day with 12 Ks against the Cubs. Again, Cubs are a high strikeout team. You probably saw Ashby's best outing. Uh, but Ashby is going to be in the rotation. Uh, he's he's going to be there for the long term because Freddie Peralta is out for most of the season with that last strain. We saw glimpses of Ashby in his strikeout ability last year, so this isn't entirely new, but it's it's nice to see him get that chance. Uh, as far as Kirby goes, the thing I like about Kirby is uh, great control numbers. Even all the way through the minors, he had fantastic control. He's had a few you know shaky shakier outings, but the K to walk still been strong throughout that. Uh, faced Baltimore this week, yesterday I think it was, and. A, that's a good lineup to face. B, that's a great park to pitch in all of a sudden. Didn't used to have, oh, say that, but Camden Yards is now a pitcher's park the way they've adjusted the fences. Rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for fantasy sports. So much great uh, stuff up on the website. What would you like to profile this week, Jeff? Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Jason Klett always does Klett calls. Good stuff there. We uh, always like that. A um, couple other things. Uh, I, you know, we do a midweek fab article go out tomorrow for the – some leagues have Thursday night fab runs, so we got that as something that uh, uh, you know is we can do. And then we also have a former Major League Baseball scout on staff, Bernie Pleskoff, always does a column for us as well. Uh, talks about some of the you know he's actually going to look at older hitters in his, in his recent column this week. Nice. All right, that's up at uh, rotowire.com. Uh, we'll miss you for the next couple of weeks. Uh, enjoy the trip out of the country, and hey, we'll we'll check back in with you here uh, towards the uh, second half of the month of June. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Steve. All right, you got it. He is uh, Jeff Erickson, folks, uh, from rotowire.com, 18 in front of 6. Adrian's movie review coming up next here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Nine in front of six right now as sports talk continues. You know the music. You know what that means. 
Time for another Adrian Broaddus movie review brought to you in part by Alamo Drafthouse, where I had a chance to go watch the new Top Gun movie over the weekend. Oh, my God. It was awesome. Loved it. Loved their bottomless popcorn. Loved their uh, – they had Adrian um, – it was uh, just something simple like chicken fingers – or chicken tenders, but they do it in like this spicy batter with some gravy. Oh, it's delicious! It's like that green chili gravy. Yes, yes. You, you you and I are in the same wavelength. We know exactly what what it's what it's about at Alamo Draft House. Uh, big shout out to Alamo Draft House. They have a season pass that's coming out right now. You can watch unlimited movies at either east or west locations. Get tickets ahead of time, and again, watch unlimited movies every single month. It's just sixteen ninety uh sixteen ninety nine every month, and you can visit DraftHouse.com to get started on that season pass. Uh, Steve, I'm ready for this movie review. It's True Lies, 1994. Uh, Action movie, although I thought it was a comedy. I thought it was hilarious. A little bit longer movie, but I I thought it was pretty solid. Um, Let's get into the plot. As soon as I started watching this, uh, I I realized, yeah, how have I not seen this movie? It has the A-list members. Jamie Lee Curtis, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Of course, uh, they've got Bill Paxton in this movie. Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold. That's right. Tom Arnold is also in this movie, and the director is James Cameron. So, um... Harry Tasker, he lives a double life. He's a spy uh, and a secret agent for the U.S. Counterterrorism Agency, but his wife and his daughter have no clue about any of this. They know him as this boring computer salesman who leaves town a bunch for different things. Well, in reality, he's leaving to go on these different missions. So throughout the entire film, Harry's just going through all these different missions. And uh, my my favorite scene is, you know, his marriage is really what's uh, what's at the issue in this entire movie he's not exciting he doesn't pay attention to jamie lee curtis who's his wife in this film and as a result simon who is this like used car salesman thing says he's a spy goes out and and, um, you know he's trying to start an affair with helen who's jamie lee curtis so my favorite scene of this whole film was they're in the car and arnold so harry and uh and of course um what's his his name is escaping me uh simon they're going at they're they're kind of going back and forth on the different things and then um arnold i mean uh, harry just backhand punches him and just breaks his face basically at the end after simon just tells him all the different things that he's excited about for his wife not know you know he's going behind his back as a spy and all of this so it's it's great it goes the entire movie goes through these different adventures and how both harry tries to save his marriage and also tries to go and fight terrorism so they go up and fight this aziz guy you know there's juno who's involved in this as well the bad guys are great in this entire film which i found uh very entertaining this is not just a typical action style movie this has a lot of comedy and it also has a, a solid storyline to kind of fall back on. Uh, here, here are some trivia points or some interesting things I felt I, I thought that were kind of cool. Arnold's biggest challenge in this entire movie was not all the physical stunts, but dancing a tango. He had to take six months 
in dancing lessons, and he wanted to be as good as the tango in, with Al Pacino in the scene of Ascent of a Woman. That was his inspiration behind that tango to close out the film. I'm giving this 7 out of 10 bananas. True lies. Solid movie. Did you like the uh, Did you like Jamie Lee Curtis dance sequence in the hotel room for Schwarzenegger? That was really funny, too. And I was reading a, a bunch of trivia pieces on that as well as far as who she did in front of James Cameron in order to actually get that uh, go-ahead or like thumbs up to do it in the actual movie. So yes, very entertaining. 7 out of 10. Alright, there you go. True Lies, it's a winner as we wrap up our number 2 here on Sports Talk. Still to come, Gene Costello uh, and the one and only Tim Haggerty. Sports Talk rolls along 600 ESPN El Paso. This story broke last week, but we have been meaning to get this individual uh, on the show, and now we are happy to bring the newest uh, official head coach of uh, Andrus High Boys Basketball. He is uh, Gene Costello, and uh, Coach, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've had you on, but hey, we go all the way back to your UTEP days playing for Coach Rab, and it's good to see that all these years later, now we, uh, we call you Coach Costello. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I want to thank y'all for having me on. Now, listen, we appreciate you being with us and, and joining us. And, and I know these, uh, the, you know these last six to eight months have been very difficult for you and for everybody at Andrus High. And I'm sure bittersweet because uh, it's an opportunity that you've worked very hard for and, and you've uh, always wanted uh, throughout your coaching career. But given the circumstances, it has to be a little bit of a bittersweet opportunity for you. It's definitely an opportunity and um, bittersweet, and um, I'm just blessed and fortunate to you know get an opportunity to try to carry on the tradition and the culture that Coach Forrest left behind. So, um, coaching staff and you know everybody else, we're, we're super excited about what's ahead. Gene, take me back to your post-UTEP days and, and kind of the path that has led you to this opportunity now at Andrus, especially getting into coaching, education, and, and ultimately uh, coming back and staying in El Paso all these years. Well, it, it, it's, it's real funny how, how things work. Um, as a young kid, I always knew that I would be around the game in some sort of way. And um, after after my playing career, I, I spent a little bit of time uh, playing playing over in Mexico, um, continuing my playing career. And in the process, when I wasn't playing, I started getting into uh, training players and development play developing players. And um, I kind of got drawn into it a lot, and I started to um, care about the players' successes more than my own. And that's when I knew it was time for me, you know, to, to hang my shoes up. And I had a different calling. And um, I didn't know the uh, the uh, the actual training. And uh, I didn't realize that they were going to get better. So it was just something I was doing on the side. And then uh, start getting a lot of positive feedback from the players that I was working with. And then I went from training players to actually working with the players up here at Anderson. Then I just kind of fell into the coaching aspect. 
That's so interesting because you could have stayed and 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 done this for a living like you had privately and just built your portfolio up to work with more and more high school players and who knows maybe it would have brought you back to college as a grad assistant from from that aspect of it but ultimately when you started working with players and it took you to Andrus that's when you decided okay let me go into teaching coaching and and really pursue this at the high school level huh yeah it it was it was a it was mainly that, and then it kind of it kind of started there, and then I kind of fell into working with, you know, not just only high school players, um, college players as well. Um, when Tim Floyd and uh, Greg Foster was here, um, I spent some time working with those players when they were around. So um, I pretty much have a, a wide range of of dealing with kids up up into grown men as far as the, the training and development is concerned. Gene Costello with us, head coach of Andrews High uh, Varsity Boys Basketball, as we continue on Sports Talk. Have you spent your entire high school coaching career at Andrus? Yes, I have. As you've grown and and really spent all, all the time uh, with the Eagles, tell me about your relationship with Coach Forbes and, and, and how that relationship grew as you became more and more confident, uh, you know, coaching high school, uh, high school talents here in El Paso. Well, the, my first encounter with Coach Forbes, he actually came to uh, see me play when I was up at UTEP. So that was my first time uh, meeting, meeting him. And uh, actually, uh, I ran into a, a player of theirs when I was actually playing at UTEP. He was playing high school basketball at Andrews at the time. And I told him, like, any time he wanted to work out, that he could come up and work with me, work out with me while I was still playing at UTEP. So that was really my, you know, first first encounter and experience with not only uh, working with players, but actually working with a player that was at Andrews High School. So, in the in the process of that, um, and I have to I have to go I have to go back to this, and we're working we're working with those with with that with that particular player. Um, I started coming around Andrews more, and I started getting uh, more of a relationship with Coach Forbes. And the more I was around, the more he trusted me to you know to help out with things. So, I was actually volunteering up here for quite some time before I actually uh, became a part of the coaching staff. When you reflect back on some of the big runs that this team and program has had, I look at the Texas State Final Four run that Andrews had, you know, and and what you all were able to do uh, with that team. How does that help lift El Paso basketball just in general? Because we had Coach Rodney Lewis on last week, and he was talking about how mm-hmm. uh, you know programs like Andrews, programs like Chapin, helps elevate the the El Paso basketball scene as a whole and as a collective when they're making these deep playoff runs. Yeah, it does. It, it definitely uh, brings a, a light on the city as a whole because um, – Everybody knows our location. You know, we're we're closer to New Mexico than we are any other major city. So basketball here kind of gets a, a rep of uh, it's not respected. So whenever we can go out of town and um and do well and make these uh 
it, it, it looks good for the whole city and it shows like we're part of Texas too. And we kind of gain that respect from, you know, East Texas, you know, your Houston, San Antonio and Dallas, those major uh, metroplex areas that we have to constantly, you know, go to tournaments and, and play out that way just to, you know, get respect for El Paso basketball. Have you seen? Yep. Have you seen the quality of of high school ball in El Paso continue to grow since you first got involved? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely growing as a whole. I mean, the coaching is getting better. The the players are getting a whole lot better. So it is is real exciting to see that it, that is growing and is going in the right direction. And as far as uh, that that Final Four team, um, that coaching staff was it was an unbelievable coaching staff it, it was great the way we worked together and what was so special about that group is that um all of those kids were homegrown you know El Paso kids so it wasn't it wasn't kids that you know came from you know outside play places it was it was pretty much built from the the, the ground up so that was, was so special about that that final four group Gene Costello with us here, head coach of Andrews High Boys Basketball as we continue on Sports Talk. So because your background comes from playing at the college and pro levels to then developing high school players to now coaching and educating as well on you know at the high school level, uh, what do you think needs to happen in order to continue to see El Paso high school basketball take that next step and continue its development to where not just a Final Four team, but we could see another state champion in basketball? Well, you know... Um... And just to be completely honest with you, you know, just the area that we're in, we don't have, you know, that large of a talent pool to pick from. So it's going to take us out working those areas, and we're going to have to put a lot more time and, and invest more in what we do in the off season to try to catch up to where those areas already are. And if we, you know, continue on that path and continue to try to improve and grow, um, in, in years to come, maybe we can, you know, catch up a little bit. And as the city, the city of a whole can, if it's not this area, any area in the city can make consistent playoff runs. You also inherit a program that has been so successful for a long period of time under Coach Forbes. So clearly, for you, as you're probably aware, you've got big shoes to fill. It's something that you're up to because you've been ready for this challenge for a while. Um, yet, when you look at how Andrus has become so successful, is your mindset to play the same kind of basketball that this uh, this program has played for so many years? Or do you plan to uh, perhaps uh, implement some new styles of ball as you become more and more familiar at the varsity coaching level? Um. That's one of those bridges I'm, I'm probably going to um, have to cross once I get to it. But what I can tell you is, as far as Coach Ford is concerned, um, I tell everybody this, he's a size 16. I'm only a size 11. So I won't even attempt to try to fill those shoes because you can't. Um, all we can try to do on our end is continue to um, help these kids in any way that we can. Um, try to continue on the culture and um, – 
when it comes to the the basketball part, it's, it's not like college. So you you can't control who comes through those doors. So you you have to have some versatility in you and be able to adapt and morph into whatever players you you have come in. So if that means continuing the the, the same style that we've had before, we'll do that. And if we have to, we have to change up a little bit. We'll change up a little bit. It just whatever we need to do to to make us the most successful. What are you most excited about for this opportunity? Uh, I'm I'm just I'm just ready to hit the ground running and um, ready to to get with the basketball minds that we already have and um, just get into just get into the work and get into the grind and, and see what this off season is going to look like. And um, if we can have a, a great off season, um, we, we, we should fare well in the, um, in the regular season, because uh, I can say, you know, from that final four team, that, that final four was one in the off season, man. Those, those guys lived in the gym and um, they worked extremely hard and they were willing to listen and buy into everything that you needed them to do. How many guys do you have coming back next season, Coach? Uh, next year we have we have eight returners, I believe. Yeah, I think we have eight returners. That's a solid. That's a solid group. I mean, you, you you've got a lot to work with. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty. It's really good. But um, we we have some irreplaceable pieces as far as the leadership is concerned. But I'm I'm still excited. We're excited about what we have in returning. So I just can't wait. Can't wait to get started in. And get to Final question. This is the toughest question of the interview. You ready? Yes, sir. Who do you like, Celtics or Warriors? I'm going to go with the the Warriors. In how many games? I'm thinking five or six. All right. I picked I picked Warriors in six. So uh, yeah, it yeah. it seems like that. Um, I'm going to see how how the series is looking after they chasing. Um, Curry and Clay around for five or six games. That's tough to deal with chasing them around for seven games. So let's see if they start to wear down a little bit. I'm with you on that one, Coach. All right, listen, congratulations on the opportunity. I wish you nothing but the best, and uh, let's keep in touch and, and get you back on the show once the season starts, all right? Okay, sounds good. Uh, I want to thank you all again for having me. Y'all, y'all have a good weekend. All right, you too. Take care of yourself. He's Coach uh, Gene Costello, folks, uh, of Andrews High, as we continue right now, 16 past the hour. Going to get our final traffic update and then out to to Hags uh, from the ballpark. But first, I want to tell you about Patricia. You know what Patricia had to do? She had to downsize from her home on the east side of El Paso. So here's what she did. She reached out to Brian Birds and his team, and they were able to help Patricia even when she was out of town. They listed the home for $160,000, but they got it sold for one seventy-five. Man, Patricia was happy with the result. You know, I don't blame her. You make an extra $15,000 on your house, I'd be pretty happy with the result, too. Nicely done. Now, you got to find that sweet spot when you list your home. Not too high where it doesn't sell or too low where you leave money on the table. You need Brian Birds or the Brian Birds home selling team powered by EXP Realty. Now, Brian can guarantee to sell your home for a price and deadline you both agree to, or he'll buy it himself. This enables you to make an offer on another home without fear of ending up with two mortgages because you know when and for how much your current home will sell. 
So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos. He's the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. I trust Brian Birds. You should trust him, too. You can visit him online at brianbirds.com, Google Brian Birds, B-U-R-D-S, or call him, 751-1500, and start packing. Hey. 